Well, good morning, Oakwood. Just wanted to uh, talk before we get into the Word this morning a little bit about uh, Night to Shine that happened here Friday night. Uh, just want to say I uh, appreciate all of you who are involved in that. If you uh, didn't know anything about it or weren't involved in it, um, I don't know what rock you've been under, but uh, hopefully maybe next year you'll be able to get involved with that. But uh, we were uh, partners with Redeemer Lutheran and Tim Tebow Foundation and just uh, a great night of uh, serving some of those that are underserved in the world. And, and that's uh, some, some special people uh, with special needs, and uh, it was really, really, really great. I wanted to uh, draw your attention to uh, some of the posts on Facebook this morning. And fa- on Facebook, if you go to Night to Shine Enid, you can look at some of the pictures uh, from the event. We hosted it right here in our facility. And, uh, wow, just a, just a great time. I, I only... Um, teared up four times during the night, and most of those were on the red carpet. It was just really a sight to behold as they're coming down the red carpet, and some of them, when we started cheering and, and telling them how beautiful they were, how handsome they were, just coming down that red carpet just to see the expressions on their faces was just, I mean, that was worth the whole thing uh, right there. So uh, just making them feel loved on and, and helping them know that uh, in, in God's eyes, they're kings and queens of the prom every time, and so just just a great time. I invite you again to check that out on, on uh, social media, some of the posts there, and just want to say uh, thank you for uh, being there to support it, um, and, and whether you were here physically or in prayer, um, we just really, really wanted to appreciate that this morning and, and to recognize that. As we get into the Word this morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, maybe after uh, four weeks, then your Bible's just falling open to Romans 12, I don't know. But we're going to be in Romans 12, and we're going to look at verses 11 and 12 today. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab that one in front of you and turn it to page 948. You'll be right where we need to be this morning as we uh, continue in our Transformed series. And uh, if, if not, you can follow along on your cell phone, or if you have a tablet, uh, you can download our app and just go to the, uh, the Google Play Store or the App Store and look for Oakwood Ena. Download the app. It's got all the sermon notes there um, as well as the scriptures that we're going to be looking at this morning. So I invite you to, to follow along that way if you so choose. So Romans chapter 12, uh, we've been in this for uh, several weeks now talking about the transformed life we're to have in Christ Jesus. And what does that look like and, and what's our part in that? How do we live that out? Um, because we know God does the transforming work, but what does that look like? In our lives. And so today we're going to uh, go to verses 11 and 12. So if you would uh, follow along with me this morning, uh, Romans 12, 11 and 12. This is what it says Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That's it. Seems pretty short and concise, right? I mean, three little fa- little little phrases in, in each in each part of the, the scripture here. And and I do want you to notice that triplet feel to it as Paul is laying this out to the uh, Christians in Rome and, and it speaks to us today. There's three imperatives given in uh, verse eleven and also verse twelve. And, and one of the themes in all of these scriptures um, is that there's this imagery, and we, and we see it throughout the Scripture, and it's a concept that we need to understand, and that's that God's people must persist. We must persist. We must be determined. We must be diligent in our faith. And in our culture today, determination and diligence, uh, they're rarely the norm. It seems like we live in a day where whatever comes easiest will win out. 
We often choose the easy way over the better way. We succumb to this form of apathy and, and sometimes even borderline laziness. Now, specifically in our passage today, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about our spiritual walk. But I find this to be true not only in our spiritual walk, but I think this shows up in other areas of life as well. Um, I'm just going to share a couple of you, a couple of these things uh, with you this morning. Uh, people out in public these days um, running around in their jammies. Have you seen this? Their jammies and their nightgowns. This is true. I, I was at Walmart like three, three or four weeks ago, and um, I, I was there, and there was a lady on one of those uh, electronic carts, and she was doing her shopping, and literally she was in her nightgown, and she put a robe on over it, and that was it. House slippers, nightgown, robe, Okay. Now, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, and I want to challenge you as well, not just this lady, but you as well, uh, to practice determination and diligence in getting dressed before you go out in the world, okay? We can really persist in that and not have to go out in our sleepwear out in the world. I mean, does that make anyone else uncomfortable? It just, it just makes me uncomfortable because it's just, you know, it's one of those things, you just picture them in like their house or their living room that way, but when you're at Walmart, you know, and you see them there, it's just like, hey, what's going on here? You know, another example of this would be some people when it uh, comes to their children. They take the easy road, take the path of least resistance, and you have to look at the state of our youth today and say, well, how's that working for us? I heard a mom just a few weeks ago say, well, she won't stop crying until I give her candy. She just won't stop crying until I give her candy. Now, you hear that, we kind of laugh because we know where this is going, right? It's just it's just easier sometimes to give in to poor behavior rather than teach a child right from wrong. It's easier to get them to shut down their whining faster if we just give them what they want than it is to actually withhold it from them, endure the fit of whining, and teach them right from wrong. You can see where this is going. We struggle to do hard things. Sometimes we don't even struggle to do hard things. We just don't do them. <laughs> we just decide up front, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing anything that's going to cost me anything. Something I have to struggle through. I'm not going to do that. And Paul is encouraging Christ followers today to exemplify these characteristics of Christians who are sold out for Christ, that they're going to be diligent in their faith. Not because they are the rarity, but because this is what the Bible expects from Christians to be the norm. You see, true transformation requires a diligent faith. We believe that through faith in God, a person can become a true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. But faith does not have its ending point at the moment of conversion. You see, many people think, well, that's the end all. If you just put your faith in God once and for all, he's going to save you, he's going to redeem you, and that's it. But Hebrews eleven six says that faith is required to please God. And it's talking about a lifetime of faith, a faith lived out through all the parts of your life. You see, it is through the lens of faith that believers should see the work of God in their own lives, knowing that we are often bruised by life. But this perspective of faith allows us to see beyond our circumstances, beyond the bruising, and to believe that God holds the future and that we can put all of our marbles in his collective basket. You see, for believers, the life of faith must not only be painted as a hope for things to come, like eternal life in heaven, but faith is an active portion of how we view our current life condition. It is the recognition that life is difficult, but it is not impossible. This week, I had the 
distinct privilege of being a part of a funeral for Sonia Hike. Some of you may know uh, Sonia through the years. I had the privilege of, of knowing her since our church merged with Davis Park in, in 2012, just the last few years. And I was just really impressed by her faith because to me, she lived out a very diligent faith. You see, I knew her when she was healthy and she didn't have any medical problems, any medical conditions or anything going on. And then I, I knew her when she got the news, you have pancreatic cancer and you only have this long to live. I, I knew her when she went through treatments to treat that and they weren't producing the results and she decided I'm not going through any more treatments and she was given months to live. I knew her when the doctors told her in December that you literally now have weeks to live. And I was with her about 12 hours before she passed away. And she was consistent through the whole thing. It's just an amazing way. She's very consistent through it all. She always had her, her mind set on things above. She always had her heart set on heaven. She was always ready to go be with Jesus. And it was her diligent faith that brought her through all of the circumstances that the world could throw her away. And you could diagnose her with about anything. I think she probably wouldn't care. Because she knew to live is Christ and to die is gain. And she was ready to go home. She lived out the transformation that Jesus had done in her life. And it requires this perspective from us that my strength and my ingenuity will never be sufficient. They were not sufficient to secure my soul for eternity. And they will not be able to get me through all of the years of my life. You see, faith is being convinced that God is there, that he is for us, and that he can do all that he has promised to do. And maintaining a perspective of faith will keep believers in this state of reliance, just really reliance on Jesus Christ. And that would be an active reliance that is being lived out in our transformation process every day. But I want to really hone in this morning on, on, on what Paul is saying here in these imperatives in each of these verses. And, and I want you to see how we are called to live these transformed lives through the lens of what he's given us this morning. So let's begin there in, in, in verse 11 again. And the first thing we learn uh, from this is this, is that we need to pursue our spiritual life with diligence. Pursue your spiritual life with with diligence. Look at the verse, um, uh, Romans 12, verse 11, at the very beginning there. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. I love the word slothful there. I, I'm glad we translated that way. That really paints a picture, doesn't it? And I, I'm one of those, I really enjoy uh, funny commercials. And there's a commercial that just came into my mind when I read that verse, do not be slothful in zeal. So turn your attention to the screens and check this out. It's uh, a, a small finger. A, a worm. Like a, a dagger. A tiny sword. A bread, a bread stick. Matchstick. A lamppost. Um, coin slot! No. no. Uh, Ten seconds. A stick. Um, a walking stick. Yeah, a boundary. A <laughs> Sorry. It's a tandem bicycle. What? What? As long as sloths are slow, you can count on Geico saving folks money. Fifteen minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Okay, so on the heels of that, do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be like that. I'm sorry. Just That is like one of my favorite commercials right now. I, that is not Super Bowl either. That did not come out during Super Bowl. It came out in November. I've seen it on ESPN a bunch of times. But uh, just when they're like, coin slot, breadstick, you know, <laughs> tandem bicycle. It's like, okay. But, you know, it paints a great picture, doesn't it? 
of how slow the sloth is and, and how he just doesn't do diligence when he's under the time constraint. And that's what Paul's saying here. Do not be slothful in zeal, but pursue your spiritual life with diligence. How many of you have a garden or landscaping at your house? Anybody have a garden, landscaping, landscaping around your house? Or maybe you have a garden in the backyard? Okay, several of you. you know, how do you grow weeds in your landscaping or your garden? Does anyone know how? You do nothing. Don't do anything. If you want weeds to grow in your garden or in your landscape around your house, you need to do nothing. Simply leave your garden and your landscaping alone, and the weeds will grow. I think it's the same thing in our spiritual life. If we do nothing, the weeds of sin, the weeds of apathy will begin to grow. And whether you realize it or whether you even want to admit it or not, if you do not pursue Anything in your spiritual life, if you do not do it with diligence, if you are slothful in your zeal for spiritual things, then you are already falling away from God. And that's what Paul's saying here. When you have no word in your life, when you have no prayer, when there's no accountability with friends, it equals no growth in your life. And he's starting out here in verse 11 with this first imperative. He says, hey, do not be slothful in your zeal. Pursue your spiritual life with diligence. And then we get to the second part of verse 11. Have a positive attitude toward the things of God. Have a positive attitude toward the things of God. What does it say there in the middle of verse 11? It says, be fervent in spirit. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. It's not a capital S. It's talking about the spirit of a man. It's about your whole, your whole being, your, your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit. The whole person is saying, hey, be fervent. Be fervent in the spirit. Have this positive attitude toward the things of God. Where diligence, where diligence in, in the first part of the verse re- refers to the action and pertains to action, this fervent in spirit, I think, pertains to the attitude of the mind. That we need to be positive people. That we need to be positive Christians. We need to be positive to others. We need to be positive about church, about its ministries. We need to be positive even when we're struggling ourselves about God and his work in our lives. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 puts it this way. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know what that verse is about? It's about attitude. It's about the attitude that you have in your mind. We need to have a positive attitude toward the things of God. You know, one of the oldest viruses on the earth, I believe, is a lack of enthusiasm. If you have a lack of enthusiasm about something, it probably won't get done. Or if it does get done, it'll get done begrudgingly. And it'll get done by people that have no passion for it. There will be no excitement, no exuberance, no, no joyful service in it. And... Chances are it'll get done, maybe, but if it does get done, it'll get done in a negative light. Most people could make a sizable list of the failures that were simple casualties of indifference or lack of commitment and enthusiasm. We are not fatigued because of our thoughts and our attitudes, but instead they, they should motivate us and give us even more fervency in our spirit to pursue the things of God. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in the second part of verse 11, is to have a positive attitude, to be fervent in the spirit. And then we get to the last part of that verse. The third thing I want you to think about this morning is that we need to serve the Lord in our perspective and how we view things and our priority. We need to serve the Lord in our perspective and priority. 
What does it say simply at the end of, of verse 11? It just says, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. It literally becomes the first thought in regards to every part of our life if we're going to say, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. How will this decision that I'm going to make or that decision I'm going to make, how will it best serve the Lord? How will this automobile that I have, how will this serve the Lord, this house, the stuff that I own that I possess, how will this best serve the Lord? When I make a decision about my future, should I move here or should I move there? Or, or does God have me to do this? How will this best serve the Lord? And when we ask ourselves as we're making decisions in life, how will this decision best serve the Lord, it's a matter of perspective to be thinking about the things of God, and it's a matter of priority that God would be first, most, and best in our life. And the transformed life is literally God first, and the rest is details. We are called to be faithful servants of Him, and we will always be that when we lean into Him and actually treat Him as our Lord, our Master, and our God. And so we see right here, just in verse 11, these three things. That these three things. We've got to pursue the spiritual life with diligence, have a positive attitude toward the things of God, serve the Lord in our perspective and priority. And then we get, get to the uh, next verse here. In verse 12. Oh, actually, I skipped a verse there. I'm sorry. I want to share this. Colossians 3.23 says this. Whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men. I love that verse, and I want you to pay attention, especially to the first word, whatever you do, whatever it is, whatever it is, whether, whatever you're doing, you do it for the Lord, you're serving the Lord, as it says at the end of verse 11. Now, now to verse 12, how does it start out there? It says to rejoice in hope, that we would find our joy and strength in hope, that you would find your joy and strength in hope. Look what it says, Romans 8 24 and 25, it says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, the first part of verse 12 here reminds us that living the transformed life inevitably is going to bring opposition from the world. And sometimes that opposition has a tendency to discourage us or to try to get us off the path toward God or to try to bring us down. But our hope is in God's strength and the power of the resurrection to save us and to deliver us from our sins. And if you're struggling with something in life right now and you're saying, I don't have any joy in my life, it's because you're not rejoicing in the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Because when we have that kind of perspective, we can find joy, we can find strength in life to get us through anything. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here in the next part of verse 12. The next part of verse 12 here says to do what? It says to be patient in tribulation. To be patient in tribulation. I said it like this, persevere through the struggles of life. We need to persevere through the struggles of life. It is because we can rejoice in hope that we can also persevere when the hard times come. Whatever form they are, whatever severity they are. Because we have the perfect assurance of the ultimate outcome of our lives, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are able to persist against any obstacle. Anything the world would throw at us. And we can endure any type of suffering. Romans 
chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, uh, says this. It says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Really? Yeah. Christians can rejoice in their sufferings. Knowing that suffering is actually doing a work in us. It's producing endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of who he is and because of who we are in Christ Jesus, then we can persevere through all of the struggles of life. And we need, can be patient in our times and seasons of tribulation. The last part of verse 12 is really simple and very straightforward. It says to be constant in prayer. To be constant in prayer. We need to be devoted to God in prayer. To be devoted to Him in prayer. As I've thought about life in this world, I do not doubt that one of the reasons that the Lord allows His children to go through times of trial and tribulations is to drive them to Himself. I think God does that because He wants us to run to Him. He wants us to turn to Him. He wants us to lean into Him. The believer who has the strength to persevere in the trials and the afflictions and the adversity and the misfortune, and sometimes even in deprivation or even destitution, they will pray more than occasionally to God. They will lean into God more and more because they know it is only God who can sustain them. We first go to God in prayer for everything, the scripture says. In the good times, we pray to him with praise. In the struggles, we cry out to him in pain. We communicate with him because he loves us and because he wants us to and because we need it. We need his listening ear. We need his wondrous care in our lives. We need to remember that God will always hear and answer our prayers. And it's not an occasional thing we see in Scripture. You think about prayer in the Scripture, you think about the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, how many times, you know, have you read that? I mean, I read the Scriptures about Jesus praying. I'm thinking, you're the Son of God. I mean, you probably talk to your Father all the time. But He shows us and models us again and again that He withdraws to lonely places to pray. And as we read through His life and through His ministry, and even in the Garden of Gethsemane, before He goes to the cross, Jesus is doing what? He's crying out to God. He's praying. We see in the Apostle Paul as he goes throughout his life, he doesn't just write things like this in Romans and some of the other epistles of the New Testament. He actually is living that out, that he is a praying person. He's not telling us to be constant in prayer because it's just a good idea. He's living it. We see it throughout the book of Acts in the, in the early disciples and the apostles. We see it throughout the Old Testament and the Faith Hall of Fame people. They were people that prayed and communicated with God. And if you want a definition of prayer, that's all it is. It's communication with God. It's how we communicate to God. But it's not to be an occasional thing. It says here in our verse, it's to be a constant thing. Later in the New Testament, Paul writes that we are to pray without ceasing. So prayer is this ongoing thing in our lives. Now sometimes I think the concept of constant prayer is something that's hard for us to grasp. 
Because I like to think of it as conversational prayer, where we're literally just having a conversation with God. Because he's our first thought, because he is our priority, we're going to go to him first in everything. And so sometimes the way this, this, this fleshes out in my life is I'll just talk to God just, just in, in circumstances and situations, and it's just a throughout-the-day type of thing. I, I don't have to, to get on my knees, not that I'm against that. I think you should get on your knees. I don't have to fold my hands. I don't have to bow my head. When I'm praying in the car, I don't, I don't close my eyes. I don't. It's just not a good idea. I feel led by the Lord not to do that and through his leading there. But, you know, it's just, it's just like if I'm walking in a situation where I'm trying to minister to somebody or family, and sometimes I'm like, Lord, I just need your words. Give me your words, God. Conversational prayer, just throughout the day. Lord, as I walk into this next circumstance, God, as I go into this meeting, make it productive for your kingdom. Give, give me the words as I lead and, and, and people, people hear, hear these words coming at me, that they'd be more like your words. It's just a constant conversation that happens with God all day. I don't formally say amen every time I pray. Um, it's just this conversation happens with God. And to me, I think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here, is that because we're close to God, because we know we need him, we are constantly to be in prayer. When something good is going on in your life, man, let God know about that. Don't you like to hear when you do something good in your life? Don't you, whether it's at work or you accomplish something, don't you love it when people come up to you and say, man, that was amazing. You did a great job with this. Why don't we do that to God? Do you not think that he would like to be praised? And it's just through this conversational prayer that we can actually live out what it says there at the end of verse 12, to be a people who are constantly in prayer. You see, there's really six things, three imperatives in each verse today. And all of these applications for our lives from our passage today wrap around this foundational truth of being able to live out these characteristics. And that is this, that true transformation requires diligent faith. It requires a diligent faith. A faith to pursue the spiritual life. That we're actually going to pursue it. We're not going to just be... Be, oh, you know, if it's easy, if it comes to me, then I'll grow in Christ. No, we're actually going to pursue it. We're actually going to read the Bible. I was so refreshed by this. After first service today, I had a, a, a single mom come up after the service and ask me a question because she's reading the Bible with her uh, kids, and, and she had a question about what she was reading. How refreshing is that? If someone's actually reading the Bible to their kids, wow, what a novel concept. But she had to make it happen. Trust me, the single mom doesn't have this. Well, I have this plethora of spare time. I think I'll just read the Bible to my kids. No, it's a priority. She's pursuing that with her kids. Diligent faith. A, a faith to be positive in our attitudes and in our thought life. Because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, I can be positive about just about anything. A faith to make serving the Lord our perspective, the first thought that we have, but also the priority in our life, that every decision we make and everything we go through life with says, how will this best serve the Lord? A faith that finds joy and strength in hope. We find joy and strength even in the face of bad news or bad circumstances. A faith that perseveres through the struggles of life and a faith that is devoted to God in constant prayer. If you're at a place this morning where you say, wow, this sounds great, and I know I need this, or maybe I had this before in my life, and I don't have it now, or whatever your circumstances are, if you're sitting here this morning, you say, you know, I'm feeling far from this. I've experienced this, but I'm feeling far from this. I'm feeling far from God. 
And, and you're looking at some of these evidences of a transformed life, and, and, you, and you're saying, wow, I don't, I don't have any of this. I want to invite you to surrender fully to Christ, to accept his gift of grace and mercy. Because if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then it's, it, this, these things can't be lived out on, on their own. You can't do it in your own strength or in your own power. But probably for more of us this morning, this is a question that says that we need to refocus our life. This is a time where we step back and say, you know what, I need to dedicate myself to a diligent faith, to a person that lives out a diligent faith, to pursuing the things of God and not just pursuing the things of this world. There's probably many more of us that we could say this morning, you know, that's, that's me. And, and I want to invite you as we're going to sing a song in just a minute to really contemplate what your next step is to following Jesus in that area. What is, what is your next step? And maybe, maybe you look at these six things and, and, you're, and you're thinking, wow, this and this, man, and I need this and I don't have this. And you're looking at these things and maybe you're like, wow, I, I don't even know where to start. Just start with one. Just, just pray and cry out to God and say, God, develop this in my life. I'm a negative person. I want to be a positive person. God, the fervor in spirit, I want to be, I want to be positive. I want to be a person that could be characterized as that. God, that I'd be one that pursues the spiritual walk in my life with diligence. That I'd be a person that's faithful in prayer, that's constantly praying. Whatever it is, as we sing this song, I just want you to think about that. And to ask God, Lord, today, how can I follow you? How can I do even more of what you want me to do? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it's a challenge when we read it and study it so many times that we feel like we come up short. We feel like we fall short of what you want. And God, we come this morning and, and just challenged because, God, some of us have grown apathetic in our faith. You're not our first thought and you're not our first priority. But instead, we get caught up in the things of this world and all that it has to offer. And we're enticed away by temptation that comes from the devil himself. And it's through all of those things, Lord, that it just draws us away from the transformed life that you've called us to live. So God, this morning, there, there's, there's some of us that we need to call on you for the first time, that we need to come running to, to Jesus Christ and accept him as our Lord and Savior. Lord, there's others that we need to repent. We need to repent of the direction we've been going in life and we need to come to you, allow you to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness and that we would align our will with your will and ultimately, God, that you would be praised and you would be glorified in your church and in our lives. But God, whatever it is this morning, I just pray as we sing this song, as we, we think about these lyrics, as we concentrate, God, on, on you and the work you're doing in us, God, I pray that we'd be a people that don't merely listen to the word and so deceive, our, deceive ourselves, but that we'd be a people of action, as it says in James 1.22, that we would actually do what the scripture says. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.